Hey folks, here we go. Got a good one for you today. I think this talk went really well. Tim Priest has been the Vol Network's football color analyst next to Bob Kessling for 20 years now. And fans love Tim for his passion and enthusiasm, which he wears on his sleeve during the broadcasts. I actually remember listening to Tim at Bobby Scott after Tennessee games growing up in East Tennessee. And Tim's wife actually ended up being my high school guidance counselor at West High School here in Knoxville in the mid-1990s. But a lot of people don't realize that Tim was a great player in a great era of UT football. He was a part of two SEC title teams in 1967 and 1969. And as a defensive back, he intercepted a school record 18 passes during his career as really a three-year career because back in those days, freshmen were ineligible. That record still stands 50 years later. It may never be broken. Tim's also been a partner in a successful Knoxville law firm for a number of years. He's still out there trying cases, doing Tennessee games, living the dream. A true Tennessee football legend. Here's my conversation with Tim Priest. All right, we're here with the Vault Network color analyst, Tim Priest, in his offices. Tim, thanks for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Glad to be with you. And 20 years now as the the color analyst for the Vault Network. Man, time flies, doesn't it? It does. Uh, the first 10 years, it really flew. The second 10, been a, little, <laughs> a little slower. Well, uh, hopefully, they're on the verge of turning that around here in the near future. I'm, I'm encouraged. I, I think we're, we're better coached. We're getting better kids, better talent. And uh, I, I don't see us being world beaters this year, but I think we're going to be definitely be improved. Do you... I know you're busy here running your law offices. Do you ever go down to practice and kind of check it out? Uh, scrimmages. Okay. I, I don't get much out of just watching practice, go through drills and stuff. But uh, I went to the scrimmage Saturday, and uh, uh, I'm encouraged that we're going to be some better. Well, good. That's good to hear. I know uh, we're recording this about a week and a half before the start of the season, so uh, it's it's fast approaching here. And uh, – you have, as you said, uh, the first ten years were were a lot of fun. The next, the past ten years, not so much. But um, it seems to me that Coach Fulmer gives the his presence there just as much as Coach Pruitt's gives the fans some confidence that things are headed back in the right direction. I, I think so. People remember uh, Philip and the great success he had as a coach, winning a national championship, and consistently. Uh, up until the last year or two, being a, a contender to win the SEC East, play play for the championship. Uh, he's a football guy. He's smart. Uh, and I just think there's a comfort level mm -hmm. among uh, the alums and all and his former players that uh, he's he's going to oversee the program and, and we're going to come back. Right. Well, uh, get more of your thoughts on, on the upcoming season here in a little bit, but wanted to kind of hear some of your backstory. Uh, you're from Huntington, Tennessee, in the, the west portion of the state. Yes. How, how did you end up making the trek to East Tennessee? <laughs> well, my, my family uh, all has grown up in West Tennessee. Actually, my great-grandfather uh, graduated from University of Tennessee in 1881. So my, oh, wow. fam my family, a lot of them have come to, to UT through the years. Both my parents went to UT. But uh, my decision was football. I, it, uh, I was no great prospect in high school. In those days, you could sign 40 players in the, in the this was 66. Uh, and um, 
I guess Tennessee sent somebody to watch me play three or four times trying to decide if I was worthy. Uh, have a running joke with a good friend, Joe Thompson, who's from West Tennessee, grew up in Savannah and was a good wide receiver here in the seven, early 60s, late 60s, early 70s. Mm-hmm. Which one of us got scholarship number 39 and which one got scholarship 40? <laughs> uh, but uh, Doug Dickey uh, offered a scholarship. I thought I was going to go to Georgia Tech at that time. I'd been down there. Uh, Bobby Dodd, who was a Tennessee star mm-hmm. football player, uh, was still the coach. Uh, but then later when I came to see Coach Dickey and sit in his office, he said, did, did Coach Dodd tell you he's retiring this year? And I said, no, he didn't tell me that. He said he's not going to be there anymore, and they're not going to be as competitive. They're out of the conference. They used to be in the conference. And uh, I met a lot of guys that were coming to UT, and uh, they were all bigger and faster than me. So I thought uh, that's probably a good place to go. And Tennessee was on the rise. Doug Dickey was in maybe his third year as head coach. And um, this was a, a great place to be, a good choice. Did Coach Dodd end up retiring? He did. Okay, he so that wasn't that just year. a recruiting pitch. That, that's right. Now, we played them in those days. Let's see, my sophomore year and my senior year, I guess. And uh, they still had good teams, but they got out of the conference. They were independent. They, I don't know why, but uh, they kind of lost the um, aura of recruiting, saying, hey, you're going to play in the SEC. Uh, the SEC wasn't as dominant as it is now, but it was still uh, one of the two or three big conferences. Them, the, the Pac, Pac-10, it probably was then, and the Big Ten uh, and the SEC were the top football conferences, so it was a good place to go. So Coach Dickey really had things rolling at that time. Tennessee won the SEC in, in 1967. Was that your freshman year? It was. And I, I think they won some – uh, there's a claim to a national championship somewhere in there too, I believe. That that was '67. That's a bit of a stretch yeah. because they lost to Oklahoma in the Sugar Bowl, uh, not in the Sugar Bowl, in the Orange Bowl that year. Uh, but it was a really good football team. They they um, that was our freshman year, and the freshman basically put on the defense or the offense for the upcoming opponent during the week. Uh, you played, I think we played four freshman games, maybe five, but uh, you didn't really practice for that. We, Our job was to get the varsity ready. Well, they went out to UCLA and lost the first game, 20-7, 16-2017. Gary B. Ben, who won, later won the Heisman Trophy, was the big star. And we had an open date the next week. They came back. They about killed us. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> to get – yeah past that and get ready to play Auburn the next week and they went undefeated the rest of the season uh but we were just kind of uh, cannon fodder for the varsity <laughs> you're tackling dummies out there pretty much something like that yeah <laughs> well and, and back in those days freshmen could not play that's right so you you knew that going in there was no oh gee I hope I, I get some snaps my freshman year uh I had no illusions about anything like that I had two or three thoughts coming. Number one, I might flunk out of school. Number two, I was going to get killed because everybody was bigger and faster than I was. And three, I just might not be good enough. Uh, so you you work through your freshman year and kind of acclimate. But uh, 
you're just you're looking up at the varsity guys and they're they're the the big shots and they really had a lot of good players it was good very good football team in 67. You mentioned several generations of your family had gone to UT were there any other athletes in the family? No my son played baseball there but nobody before me. Okay well they must have been pretty proud to see uh, Tim go off and play for uh, in the house that General Neyland built. Yeah uh I guess my mom was. My, my dad died when I was a teenager. Oh, I'm sorry. And uh, but my mom was. Oh, she would come up to the, almost every game. I had an older brother uh, who was in graduate school here, and then went on to medical school. And uh, he was having fun coming to the ball games. So uh, I guess so. Yeah, uh, the small hometown. Uh, they put one or two or three or four more players up here. A couple of uh, since and several before me, but um, small school ball. Uh, but but high, football was really a big deal in mm-hmm. my high school there, uh, and we had a really good team my senior year. So that kind of helped, I guess, a little bit get noticed. You said you're a bit intimidated by some of the size and speed of your, your teammates when you got here, but you ended up having a, a very – Good career, part of just uh, – I was looking at some of the, the statistics of the secondary that you were a part of. You're the all-time, the school's all-time interceptions leader, but, uh, you know, that that's very impressive. I think a lot of people know that. But when I was looking at some of your teammates too, I think uh, you guys had a ton of interceptions in an era when, you know, there weren't, you know, a lot of four and five wide receiver sets, guys throwing it 50, 60 times a game. Well, actually, Georgia Tech threw it 61 against this one year. Okay. Like I but, said, everybody but, was throwing it. <laughs> well, not really, yeah. but, but it was a simpler time. Uh-huh. Uh, I was not fast enough, really, to play, but you, you, you kind of you know what your limitations are, so you try to uh, be smart and, and know what your assignments are and be in the right place at the right time, uh, things like that. But um, it, it was um, – if they came out to my side, we changed from a three deep and a monster man. The monster man was kind of like a hybrid linebacker or safety guy. Um, and first three years, that's the way Tennessee played, and that's the way the whole league was playing. My senior year, Buddy Bennett came from East Tennessee State to coach secondary. Bill Battle's first year as coach. And we went to a four deep, strong safety, free safety. Strong safety would usually go the tight end side or the strong formation side. That was my job. And you didn't have to be as quite as fast as the other guys. Your free safety is trying to cover the whole field. Bobby Majors, who was a terrific athlete, terrific player. Conrad Graham, who ended up being an All-American cornerback. David Allen, who won much faster than I was, played the other corner. David was really smart. He's a, he's a physician now. So that helped. And then we had good pressure up front and had a terrific linebacking core. Jackie Walker, good as any linebacker had ever played here. Uh, Ray Nettles, uh, who was an all-SEC middle linebacker, and Jamie Rotella, uh, who later was an all-American linebacker. He was so we had a lot of help, but we ran a different scheme than the league had seen because uh, we were playing four deep. And I think that confused some of the coaches of the other teams. They threw – I never made a great catch. They threw a lot of balls right to me because I was in the right place and, and I was coached to be there. Uh, so it was a little different, uh, but but it was a simpler time. They didn't have as many quick guys like they do, fast guys, raise up and throw it real quick to a guy in the flat, and next thing you know he outruns the whole mm-hmm. team. Uh, 
everybody out there was a little slower <laughs> than they are now. Well, I, I, you're you're very modest, but uh, again, 18 career interceptions, a record that stood now for 50 years. I mean, that's that's pretty incredible. And again, <laughs> freshmen couldn't play, so you did that in three seasons. Uh, I, I benefited from good coaching, good teammates. Uh, guys that got pressure up front and some teams that like to throw the ball that really weren't very good at it. Uh-huh. Uh, so, uh, truthfully, I never had some kind of spectacular pickoff and run it back for a touchdown or something. They just they would overthrow the tight end or they would underthrow somebody deep or something like that. But it, it was fun. It was a really good bunch of guys to play with, and, and uh, we practiced really, really hard. The secondary my senior year with Buddy Bennett – uh, we would get dressed about 30 minutes before everybody else. And instead of having a meeting and watching film or something, we would run to the stadium with Coach Bennett. We would go through more running, uh, breaking on the ball, tip drills to where he would throw it up deep to one guy. He tips it. The other three all have to get over there huh. and tip it, and the last guy has to catch it. Uh, you had to do that at the end of practice, too, several times before you could go in. But – we ran a lot more. We ran more than the rest of the team before they ever got there, before they would ever do in the whole practice. Huh. So it was a little different in that regard. But um, Larry Jones came, later was a head coach at Florida State, and coached our defense. It was fun. It was really, uh, other than the gruesome running, it was really a fun fall. Every every game, everybody was excited. We lost to Auburn second game, but outside of that, we won them all. I know uh, your, your record was in jeopardy a couple of years ago when Eric Berry was <laughs> patrolling the side, uh, the the secondary for Tennessee. Are you surprised that it stood all this time? Uh, yeah, I'm not a good comparison to Eric Berry. <laughs> He's a terrific player, maybe the best defensive back ever at Tennessee. I'll tell you a funny story. We, that was uh, Lane. He, he was here. I guess his last year was Lane Kiffin's first year. I think. Oh nine. So. Uh, on Wednesday evenings, I go over and Bob Kessler and I watch video of the upcoming opponent and then uh, go down at the end of practice and visit with the coordinators a little bit. Well, mm-hmm. I'm in the uh, indoor uh, practice field one day. Uh, it's kind of toward the end of the season. And they – and and uh, Lane Kiffin comes walking by. He said, uh, you, you owe me a thank you. And I said, what I need to thank you for? He said uh, – I played Eric up close to the line of scrimmage most of this year, uh, and he's not going to break your interception <laughs> record. I said, well, Coach, maybe if you'd have played him deep, you'd have won more ball games. <laughs> <laughs> not sure he appreciated that. But Eric was fabulous. There have been a lot of good secondary players oh, sure. at Tennessee. I wouldn't be in the category athletically of any of them. I just happened to be there at the right time. So, uh, and again, you had uh, teammates. Was it was it David Allen? I think he might be second on that list. He has fifteen or sixteen, I think. Um, or is it? That I think it's Bobby Majors. Bobby Majors, okay. And, and Bill yeah. Young, who's uh, been a longtime high school coach yeah. here in Knoxville area. Bill had fourteen or fifteen, something like that, and and Eric did. A lot of guys on that list uh, of the most interceptions are guys that played in the sixties when. That team's through a lot, but not so well. Yeah. <laughs> and you had uh, – so the 67 championship team, that was your freshman year? The, it was. Okay, so uh, – and then 69, you guys won it again. That was Coach Dickey's last year and a pretty good team as well. It was. Um, we also, unfortunately uh, – you, you, 
you actually remember the losses better than the wins. We were, I think, right at number three in the country. We were undefeated. We had beaten Georgia at Georgia, and they hadn't lost a home game in like five years or six years or mm-hmm. something. We went to Ole Miss and laid the biggest egg probably in the history of our school, losing 38 to nothing to Archie Manning. Was that the, the infamous Archie Who game? That was the Archie Who game, wow. uh, which came from – they had preseason um, – they called them sky riders. The sports riders in the south would all get on a plane that would hold maybe 25 or 30, and they'd fly around the south to each school preseason. Well, they came around here, uh, and they had a few players come down to meet with them at, at a hotel somewhere in town. I don't remember. And uh, they asked questions of you. Well, Steve Kiner was our All-American linebacker and a terrific, terrific player. Uh Steve would speak out his mind, and they <laughs> asked him, they were saying, who's who's a good team? Who's going to be your competition? And uh, he mentioned Alabama maybe. I don't remember a couple of teams. And they said, well, what about Ole Miss? And he said, no, uh, they're, uh, they're, they're not so good. And they said, well, what about Archie Manning? And he said, Archie who? Oh, dear. Well, the, the ultimate bulletin board material, huh? And they said, well, we've been down there. Uh, we were just came from down there, and they got a lot of horses. And Steve said, you don't know the difference in a horse and a mule. <laughs> so when we went down there to play that week before, as I understand, Archie tells me this too, uh, they dropped, an airplane came over the campus dropping flyers with Archie Who on one side and a mule on the <laughs> other. And so... If we hadn't showed up, they would have chosen up each other and fought uh, that day. But uh, they just beat the dog out of us. Well, it's it's a good thing that Archie didn't hold it against Tennessee all those years later. Well, if you talk to him, uh, he will tell you he remembers the year before when he played up here and threw six interceptions and we beat him 31 to nothing. So you kind of the, the, the losses – particularly the bad losses, stick in your mind a little more than the wins. But it's funny, you know, Ole Miss has, has fallen on hard times. People forget, you know, it's cyclical. Um, I used to work with Dewey Warren, and he told me that, you know, Alabama, Georgia, Auburn, all the teams they played back then, he said nobody hit harder than Ole Miss yeah, back they, in those days. My senior year of the game, I came up here as a, as a uh, recruit. Uh, they played Ole Miss. And Ole Miss had Dan Sarton and Jim Urbanic with their defensive tackles. They just killed him. I mean, they, I think it was 14-7 to 7 or something Ole Miss won, but Tennessee couldn't move the ball. Ole Miss was tough. They were good. And obviously the years that Archie was there, they were good. So uh, you were, uh, again, is a, a great period in Tennessee football history, and you were there for a coaching change. And Coach Dickey goes back to Florida after a bowl game. It was very controversial at the time. And, you know, unfortunately, Tennessee fans have become accustomed to coaching changes the past 10 years or so. <laughs> what, what was that like as a player, you know, losing your coach going into your senior year? I couldn't believe it. I just – it was like a death in the family. I just – couldn't believe that Coach Dickey would leave us. We'd had a great success. We'd won the SEC that year. He'd been the guy that had recruited me. Um, one of the brightest people. I've, I've, in law, you run into some smart people, uh, other lawyers, people you deal with in your cases and all. Uh, Coach Dickey's right up there 
I'm guessing I, his IQ is way up there, but mm-hmm. he's one of the brightest guys and most perceptive guys and uh, understands people, uh, great evaluator of talent. Uh, just, just, I just couldn't believe he was, he was leaving. Uh, so unfortunately for him, I think the people at Florida, they had a defensive coordinator, Gene, I'll never think of his last name, uh, that the players loved. And they thought when their head coach retired, Ray Graves, who was actually a Tennessee grad, uh, that that they would get their defensive coordinator as a head coach. I don't think they were very receptive to Coach Dickey. Mm-hmm. And probably the worst thing that happened is they beat us 14-13 in the, in a, in the uh, Gator Bowl that year. So instead of the conquering heroes comes to Gainesville to make them better. You're getting the coach of the team you just beat. That's right. Huh. And I I think that all made it harder for him. Um, When he came came up here the next year and we beat him like 35 to 7. It it was uh, not a close game. And sounds funny I felt sorry for him a little bit because I knew how good a coach he was and if they would just buy into what he was selling uh, he would have a lot of success there back then we didn't play them they won in east west so we didn't play Florida but every now and then but uh, that was tough but coach battle came in had a great staff it it was so much fun to play my senior year with a good team and and a bunch of really good coaches and you actually hung around as a graduate assistant after your playing career came to an end? Well, the first couple of quarters, I needed to graduate. Okay. <laughs> I needed a there couple. might have been a, a scheme to get through some extra school out of Yeah. Okay. Uh, and uh, I got married, and my wife soon after said, now you're not going to coach football, are you? <laughs> I thought you were going to medical school. <laughs> and I said, no, I don't think I'm going to coach football, but I don't think I'm going to medical school either. So – uh, we coached, uh, helped coach the freshman team that year. And then the next year, uh, he actually, uh, Coach Dickey called me. And uh, when we graduated, my wife and I, I was going to start the law school in the fall. We went to Lake Tahoe, worked in a casino for the summer just to see a different part okay. of the world. My wife was actually a blackjack dealer. And while out there, um, I learned that she was pregnant, <laughs> and so I needed a job uh-huh. to have a baby. And Coach Battle called me, just happened to call me a few days later and said, uh, help coach my freshman team. I'll pay you $8,000 a year. I said, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, Not exactly a, a, a big negotiation, huh? No. I needed a job, and I needed to work a year before I started law school. So we came back, and uh, – we the both take well the first one 71 Condridge Holloway was our, our quarterback I mean he we won we won them all uh he beat Notre Dame he beat Alabama he beat everybody so freshman was the next year they turned it into JV you had not only the freshman but you had the guys that were being redshirted could play on that um but that was fun but it also left me with a feeling that I've I've had enough coaching. Uh, I didn't want to do, do not a long-term thing for yeah, you. You're going to bounce around. I would have had to leave a couple of guys that I'd known said, uh, Hey, come, uh, uh, one of them was at Nevada, Las Vegas. He'd been a, a pro scout that I got to know. He said, come out here and coach my secondary. And I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. Or there was one, uh, um, 
Jim Bates, one of had been our players, was at Villanova. Uh, I don't even think they play football now, but he said, "Come up here and you coach the secondary at Villanova." And I. No, I'm going to go to law school. That sounds better. Yeah, so uh, the, the coaching career short-lived. Short-lived. To, to say my, the least. My wife was worried that it would be a long-term deal, and she didn't think that was a very good idea, and she was right. <laughs> well, what attracted you to law? Uh, well, my dad had gone to law school here. Uh, he never practiced. He graduated in December of 41. They bombed Pearl Harbor, and he went off to World War II and never actually practiced law. Uh, but I'll I tell you the, the, the funny story about why I practice law. Betsy couldn't get a job, my wife, as a teacher. When she graduated, there was a fl- glut of teachers. And so she gets a job doing cold calls over the telephone. And one call she made to a guy named Bill Banks, who was a practicing lawyer here then, since deceased, uh, and he said, well, why don't you come work for me? You could be, you don't need to make these calls. I, I know who you are, and you can be my receptionist. So she went down there, went to work for him, and uh, Jess Campbell, who also since deceased, and but a, a, a good law firm, and Zane Daniel was a partner there. Zane, everybody that ever knew Zane here, he was he's from uh, Rutledge, uh, just a terrific trial lawyer, particularly criminal lawyer. Well, he also liked country music, had a bunch of country music buddies. And Betsy came home one day and she said, you know, you've been thinking about law school. He said, you might want to do that. He said, I don't think it's real hard. He said, Zane sits up here with his buddies in the afternoon some days and they drink beer and pick, pick and sing. So it must not be too hard to be a lawyer. So yeah. all the years that I was practicing, I knew Zane pretty well. I, I used to tell Zane, I said, you were my inspiration to go to law school because <laughs> you made it look like it's not too hard to practice law. Well, I, I didn't see any uh, buddy drinking beer or hear any guitars when I walked no, in here. No, those, so. those days, uh, Zane was gone from, okay. the, from the firm by the time I, I went. I went to work and clerk for him in, in law school and uh, worked for him for several years out of law school. And then Bob Pryor and Frank Flynn and I decided – that we would get together and form a firm in John Harbor, and so we did. Yeah, and uh, so you've been uh, practicing law for for all these years, and and you haven't had to move around like a coach 15 Uh, times. Well, that (laughs) was part of what uh, I didn't much want to do and my wife didn't want to do. She's from Chattanooga, and so we, we we like Knoxville, great place to live, great place to raise your children, and uh uh, that was better. Travel some with this, you know, taking depositions or going out of town for things. But it's not like you're coaching here, your head coach gets fired. Now what are you going to do for a living and so forth? Plus at the time, I think Bill Battle's first contract was 30 thousand dollars as the head coach. It wasn't anywhere rem- – I mean, nobody yeah. could have foreseen – the, the, the rise in salaries and the kind of money people pay to coach football. Well, and for every, you know, assistant coach at the University of T- Tennessee making $600,000 a year, there's yeah. – I mean, they're out there grinding for nothing all over the country. They are, and it's a really tough life in the, in the sense of family. Um, they may make uh, a, a big salary and live in a nice home, have a swimming pool in the backyard – but I don't. I, I'm not sure how much they get to enjoy it because mm-hmm. it's so intense. The 
the work hours. Uh, you know, a 60-hour work week is nothing for these guys, uh, maybe in the middle of the summer. But that's a tough life. You've you got to really like what you're doing. They are certainly better paid these days. But um, how, they don't get to spend as much time with their kids as I got to spend with mine, put it that way. Well, I know the, the offensive coordinator a couple of years ago, Bajakian, who went to uh, Tampa. I think he's still at Tampa Bay coaching the quarterbacks down there. And I heard him talking about – you know, like you're talking about it at Tennessee. I mean, you're there till eleven or or you know midnight in the middle of the summer. You That's know, right. for let alone the season. And he said, you know, and you get your summers off a little bit in in the NFL. You get some time off, and even during the season, he said, you know, I'm living in Tampa, and I'm at home by the pool at seven o'clock every night. Yeah, and I, you would think that's the NFL. That's going to be harder, but well, they don't have to recruit. Uh huh. They don't. They 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 and the assistants probably have nothing to do with who they're going to draft. I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. I don't know how pro football works very well. But, uh, yes, it, it is such a time-consuming thing. I, I admire those people that have the fortitude to do it. Sure. But um, it's just, uh, I don't know. They, they, they're over there, and they, by the time they get home at night, a lot of times their kids, if they're young, they're in bed already. You know, it just uh, – I'm glad they're over there, and I'm glad they they love what they're doing, and and we've been pretty good at it. Those the people that have been here, but that kind of wasn't quite what I wanted to do. Yeah. So my my first memories of hearing about you were on the radio. Uh, we were talking before the the football final show. You and Bobby <laughs> Scott after the games, and uh, man, I I really enjoyed that uh, back in the day. Of course, that was a a golden era of Tennessee football in the 1990s. It was. Actually, when we started it, Joe Thompson was doing it, but Joe uh, took a job out of town after a few years, and Bobby retired after maybe 10 years, maybe playing in the in, – mostly as Archie Manning's backup, but he, he played some. I got to see him play a time or two. Uh, but uh, it was fun. It was kind of different. My wife sometimes reminds me that you did that for 25 years. Now you've done this for 20 years. When are we going to have a weekend in the fall? <laughs> did, <laughs> but I said, well, let's let's have another good season here, and then we'll see. Did, did you know anything about radio? Not I mean, a was, thing. Not was... a thing. We we would, the first shows when we first did it in it was my senior year in law school, seventy uh, five, I guess. We would go out there. It was three hours. There were. No call-ins, if you can believe that. So we sit there for three hours. The only thing we had is we would have the bookies' uh, betting sheet. So we would run down the scores based on that, thinking everybody's out there betting wants to know who's won. Because there wasn't a way of finding out things like you do. Not not near as much. For, For college football, for instance, you had one national game you could be on TV and one regional game. So Two games on TV was the most you could be in in the late 60s. Started getting bigger and more, but I can imagine that first year or a few years was really difficult. We were terrible, I'm sure. We would Joe Joe was a wheeler dealer. Joe Joe lives in Hilton Head, and he sells. If, the, if there's a beer distribution in America sold today. 90% chance he brokered the deal. That's what he does. That's uh-huh. what he's done for years and years. Uh, but he also had a little 
uh, ingenuity in him, and he wanted what, what we had a helicopter that would come from WIVK. Their, their, their traffic helicopter would land on the practice field. Now, the university didn't know we were doing this. We didn't ask permission. Joe and I would leave. There was no post-game show. Uh, five minutes after the game was over, John Ward would sign off the air, and, and it would go to music or whatever. We would, about two minutes left in the game, come out of the stadium, run up, climb over an eight-foot chain-link fence, go get on the helicopter. The helicopter would take off and land in WIVK's parking lot in that old building where they used to be on Bearden Hill. And we would run in, and by the time people got in their cars, we were doing the show. And we had a tra- the traffic helicopter, which we thought people would like to listen to, so they would listen to us. But um, it was pretty primitive radio. <laughs> well, you had a helicopter. I mean, that might have been the most high-tech p- part of it. Uh, they uh, funny, <laughs> funny story out of that. Joe wants to have a Budweiser. He was working for Budweiser then uh, before Ray Han owned it. Wanted to have a big hot air balloon at the North End Stadium. North End Stadium was not closed in in mm-hmm. those days. He wanted to have a promotion and put it down there. So he goes to Jim McDonald, who was one of the athletic directors, assistant athletic director, to see if he could do that. And he's pitching it. And Jim says, you know, I think y'all could do it. He said, I don't know what's going on, but some guy, crazy guy, keeps landing a helicopter <laughs> on our practice field. <laughs> and, of course, Joe didn't admit to it or anything. Yeah, that's yeah, the darkest thing. What yeah, are you going to do? <laughs> boy, that sounds a lot wild. Can't believe anybody would do that. <laughs> Not quite up to the standards of radio now. Well, uh, th- those were some fun broadcasts, though. Once you, once you guys found your footing and, and got some, you know, phone lines going and, and phone calls, and you know, this is before uh, there were fourteen uh, sports radio shows on every day uh, locally. I mean, people didn't yeah. know that. That's oh, right. Wow, if we let people call in and you have a discussion between the hosts and the particularly, and I, I do a, a daily radio show and a post game show, and the post game show it's so different because yeah. people are. People are a little bit liquored up in some cases. Emotions are running hot, and um, it's it, it's fun. Yeah, they they they're either we're going to be national champs <laughs> or we're in the pits. Yeah. Uh, there's not not a whole lot of in between, and it wasn't back then either. Same thing. So, how did you get the color analyst job in '99? I had done back back then. In the late 90s, they had a few pay-per-views. You weren't on TV practically. Mm-hmm. There was no SEC network. Sure. So you uh, network TV might have you twice, three times at the max probably. And so they would have what they call pay-per-view games. And I um, can't think of his name. Bob something from Nashville would do play-by-play. The Bob Bell. And, Bob Bell. Uh-huh. And a few games, they asked me if I would do the color. And uh, Bob was a heavy smoker. It was a tough booth to be in. <laughs> but uh, I did a few of those. And in 93, um, Bill Anderson had to miss a game with John Ward, and they were playing uh, Arkansas in Little Rock. He's Shuler. Uh, he's Shuler's team. And Coach Dickey uh, – called me and said, "You would you want to do the color with them? I said, sure. Sound like fun. Sure. We'll pay you something. I don't remember what it was. That wasn't important. And so we went over there. That was uh, an experience. Uh, 
John, of course, was like no other. It was terrific and and uh, still much beloved by our fans. But I kind of got the ropes a little bit. <laughs> My microphone wasn't turned on unless John pointed at me. And Tim Barry, who's still with us as the engineer, would turn right. on my mic, and I would know I had 15 or 20 seconds to try to say something profound about what was going on. <laughs> so it was a, very much a speak when but, spoken to oh, yeah, type he, thing. He covered it, and he funny thing about it, he, before it started, he said, now, at the end of the game, we've got a player of the game, and you get to pick the player of the game. It's almost always the quarterback or wide receiver or running back, something like that. So I said, okay. It's like Coca-Cola player of the game, some sponsor, I don't remember. And uh, they had a uh, Arkansas had an All American defensive end who, who was a really good player. Jason Lehman was our left tackle, who was a, a really good player, played in the pros a long time from mm-hmm. Sevier County High School. Uh, and kind of a nondescript game. I think we won 21 to 7, but not a whole lot of spectacular plays or anything. So when it's over, John does his kind of wrap up deal, and then he says, Okay, Tim, who's the Coca Cola player of the game? I said, Jason Lehman, left tackle. He said, who? <laughs> I said, he said, well, explain that. I said, well, they had an All-American defensive end, and Jason blocked him the whole game. Heath never got on the – they never got Heath on the ground, never sacked him or anything. I said, I believe he's a player of the game. He said, okay. I knew that was my last time to be right. with John. Uh, but it seemed like he was the best player on the field that day. Uh, had, had many offensive linemen win the player again. I don't game. think that's ever happened before. Before it. <laughs> All right, that's good stuff. Uh, so you get the the UT job in in '99, and it's you and Bob Kessling, and you know you you know you, you guys both know John Ward and Bill Anderson. Big shoes to fill, suffice it to say. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think either one of us have ever really tried to do that. But uh, John's first year was my first year to be on the varsity. I think 68 okay. was the first year he did it, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and so I'd been listening to him, and he'd interviewed me a couple of times when I was in school and things like that. And, and you know, he just had such a unique way of doing it. Um I, unfortunately, I think listeners still try to compare Bob to him. Well, nobody's John Ward. Nobody has those same uh, 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 mannerisms or, or sayings or the mm-hmm. things he does. Be like trying to follow Vin Scully as as the Dodgers uh, uh, baseball uh, announcer. You know, whoever's got that job, probably people think he, they pale compared to sure. to him. But um, Bob has been great to work with. He's always prepared. He's got a layout. It's like two I've feet, two feet by three board. feet. Yeah, yeah and he's, it's got all kinds of colors. And uh, all these play-by-play guys know each other. I don't know where we go. Everywhere we've been, they act like they're first cousins or something. They hadn't seen each other in, you know, in two years or something. They always get together and talk and everything. They come in there, and Bob's got that laid out, and they're standing right here. And I say, well, you can study it all you want, but it, it might as well be written in Greek. You'll <laughs> never understand what he's got there and why he's got it. But he knows how to, you know, he knows how to find the information he wants. And he, he works hard, at, I think, at uh, uh, preparation, knowing what the other team. We, we watch some video of the other teams. Uh, and uh, I mean, he he he's good at. It. I think he's really good at basketball. I, I hear him in basketball more. During the game, I'm hearing him, but I'm watching it sure, too. Yeah. And so, 
I'm trying to see who who who's why the play worked or didn't work, who's made a play, uh, if there was a bust, where was the bust, things like that. So, but I'm listening to him. But in basketball, if if uh, I'm not at the ball game, I'm listening to him, and you know I think he gives a real good picture of what's sure you you know the flow of the game and 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 all of that. So uh, he's been a pleasure to to work with, really. No doubt. I think one of the things that that people really like about what you add to the broadcast is that you are unabashedly pro Tennessee, <laughs> and it, it, you can. The you can sense it, uh, particularly the last ten years when we haven't been doing well. You can sense the the frustration in your voice and the joy when things are going well. Uh, when we started, uh, Ward, one thing Ward told me was, it's not we and they; it's Tennessee and Georgia, or Tennessee and mm-hmm. and then Coach Dickey. I saw him right before in the press box, right before we started our first broadcast, and he said. If you slip a little we and they in there, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I want Tennessee to win. I don't want to be such a homer as not to be objective about what you're seeing. But it's kind of like uh, Betsy doesn't go to all the games, but I came home after uh, some pretty bad home loss last year or the year before, and she said, you know, I was listening on radio and, and watching on TV and said, you didn't say much of anything in the fourth quarter. I said, what am I going to say? We're getting our brains beat out. <laughs> you know, that we've had some of that. Yeah. But um, it, even though it's many, many years ago, having played, you know how hard it, it is how, how to work so hard. And, uh, and they work harder now than we did then, They're especially off-season training and weight training and all is more intense than it was then. And you know emotionally and physically how hard those players uh, prepare, and you want them to do well, and you want the team to do well. Uh, and and uh, sometimes that's kind of tough. You just kind of bite your tongue. <laughs> so the the two calls that that come to mind when <laughs> when when I think if you are both against Florida, and I think they're the two back to back years, twenty sixteen to twenty seventeen. It was get you some of that Jalen Tabor, <laughs> and then the next year. Uh, the I think we had it first and goal at the one and just a an epic series of blunders culminating with an interception, I believe, in the end zone. And just, damn it, one word uh, <laughs> summed it all up. I thought my mic was dead, <laughs> and I probably didn't think. As, as I've said a couple of times, I've come within an inch or so of saying one of those magic words <laughs> that will get you fired. Yeah. Uh, but... Um, Tabor had had baited Tennessee all summer. Uh, good player, good player, but he ran his mouth all summer. Uh, how Tennessee wasn't anybody to worry about, you know. It's that's not their first big uh-huh. game. Their first big games later in the season and all. And we, if you remember, we'd been down. I think we were down seventeen to three at, at uh, one point in mm-hmm. the in the first half. And then they made the comeback, and the play that where we took the lead. Um, Juwan Jennings gave him a move, and he kind of halfway fell down and got beat deep. It just popped out of my, out my head. It's, it's a golf expression. You know, you're playing golf with your buddies, and you yeah. got a few dollars bet on it, and you get up and you hit a good drive, and you turn around to him and say, get you some of that. But anyway, it came out. The, the damage shouldn't have come out. I just – it was so frustrating that we were down there on the two-yard line or three-yard line, 
And on first down, whoever was our quarterback at the time, hit the Florida guy right in the chest with a throw, and he dropped it. Uh-huh. And I thought, you can at least kick a field goal and be tied with them. It was 3 nothing at the time. And be smart. And the next thing I know, he locked in on the receiver, and the the cornerback jumped the the route, and you you could see it coming. And <laughs> well, I think that a lot of I, I'm I'm sure the coaches, players, and I and I know for sure the fans probably said a lot worse <laughs> in the moment. You just happened to have a microphone in front of your mouth. Yeah, you got to be a little careful about that. And again, I know the players are trying to win. They're trying to do the right things, and the coaches work as hard as they can work to to prepare them but i don't know sometimes you get a little frustrated you think they're they're not they're not thinking they're they're you know you just got to do better than that well and you get to go down in the locker room after the games and do post game interviews and that is uh, – I've never done it before, but I can only imagine what – especially when we talk about you remember the losses more than the wins. In a losing locker room, you know, first of all, the emotions are are high, and I'd imagine you have to be careful what you ask in certain situations. A little story about that. When 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 they told me that I would uh, uh, do it, I called Archie. Bobby Scott, my roommate in college – was Archie's backup for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. So all through that, I got to know Archie, and we got to be friends, kind of. And so he was doing Saints games in those days. And he had played on the Saints for years and years, and they never had a winning season. Didn't have much around him, very poor management. But so I called Archie, and I said, you've done uh, the color for the Saints for years, and you do uh, after the game locker room interviews. Bill Anderson had never done that. Well, give me some tips. He said, here's the first thing. In my contract, now this was getting ready for 1999. We just won the national championship. He said, my contract, I have it in my contract that I don't have to go into a losing dressing room and interview anybody. I said, Archie, nah, I'm not worried about that. We just, <laughs> we, we just won the national championship. We're going to win 10 or 11 games every year. This is Tennessee. Yeah, right this there. is Tennessee. Of course, it didn't quite turn out that way. <laughs> did but he really have that? He didn't have to go into a losing locker that's room? That's what he said. Huh. It's, uh, but you, you kind of learned early on that first year, um, Deion Grant was our safety. We played Auburn here. Uh, Auburn – uh, is coming out of the end zone early in the game, and Grant intercepts pass and runs it back for a touchdown. He had three interceptions mm-hmm. in the game, and we beat him pretty handily. Um, it was our first home game. Well, we'd had a we'd played some Patsy at the start, but it was like second or third game of the year. And we go in, and I'm sitting next to Dion and Glenn Thaxton, who runs the broadcast, who's super at what he does really good for the network he he makes all the broadcast work um he's there with me and Dion and i are sitting next to each other and i'm getting ready to interview him and glenn's at, during a commercial break glenn says uh Dion, do, do you know who holds the tennessee interception record and he said no and he had about 15 or something i don't remember but he had just had three in a game and he said he pointed at me, and Dion looked over at me. Dion's about 6'3 and 210. He uh-huh. looked over at me and said, you played football? <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, a humbling moment. <laughs> yeah, I said, Dion, it was, it was different. <laughs> Little slow guys ran around back when I played, and, and nobody looked like you. 
but um, uh, most of the time, I, I, I admire these—I call them kids. These these players uh, that they'll step up and do an interview when they've lost a game and they don't really want to. Um, I used to be able to pick who I interviewed on the road because I could go. We, we were always in the locker room of, of the visiting teams. There's some. Ba- there were some bad ones. There's still a bad one or two in the league. But and maybe ours is too. I don't know. I've never been in it lately. But uh, they'll step up and talk. Uh, some talk better than others. But um, I can't imagine in the late '60s if somebody from uh, WIBK was walking through the dressing room interviewing people after the game. I don't think I'd have handled that very well if we lost, particularly. But uh, these guys step up, and you know it. it Sometimes you're kind of struggling a little bit to ask a question about a positive event in the game or something. Uh, but um, I, I admire the way they, they handle it. And, and Bob coaches them. Uh, every year, I think he still does, he will um, – preseason, they'll have a session that he gets sits down. Maybe it's just the upperclassmen. I'm not sure who. And say, you want to go to the league. Everybody wants to go to the league these mm-hmm. days. Well, one of the th- easy ways to make money if you go to the league is you get famous and you uh, do commercials. Well, if you're going to do commercials, you got to know how to talk. Okay, so let's talk about how you're going to do interviews, uh, how you're going to do things. Not a lot of you knows in your answers. Uh, and doggone, they do pretty well. Uh, they really do. I, I, I admire it. I'm sure we don't have a, a, a locker room full of road scholars, but most of these guys are pretty bright guys, and, and they handle it pretty well, or at least the ones I get to talk to do. Oh, they grow up watching their heroes play in the NFL, and they see press conferences and after the game, and they know that, hey, you know, if that's something I want to do eventually, then I better be able to present myself well. I think that's some of the motivation, yes. You, so you, you talked to all these coaches and players. You mentioned uh, talking to Coach Kiffin earlier, and – You've got to know and, and interview all these folks. Do you have a, a favorite or two that, uh, you know, and it, again, it's, it's, it's disappointing that there are so many. You, you kind of have to go through the you know, list and rank them. Going back a few years, Casey Clawson was always fun. Uh, Casey had this California swagger uh, that at first was kind of um, off-putting a little bit. But once you got to know him and you watched him under fire uh, time and again, pull out a game or make a great throw, uh, fourth and 19 in the fourth overtime, I think, at Alabama, and he hits C.J. Faton for 22 yards and we score in the next overtime, we beat him. Uh, Hail Mary at end of the half at Florida. Uh, he was always uh, fun to interview. He he just had a little swagger about him. Uh, maybe it came from California. Yeah. But uh, um, in, in recent years, it uh, seems like I interview Ryan Johnson a lot. Ryan uh, was uh, played two or three positions on the offensive line last year. Very well spoken. Um, engineering major. I think part of what they do is they go. Let's see, Darwin Walker. Darwin Walker, who's been very successful in business after playing in pro football, a, a t- defensive tackle here, was another engineering major who was super bright guy. Um, 
and and they pick the ones I get to talk to now. I don't get to pick them anymore. Uh, every once in a while, I want to walk in the door and I look and I'll think, "What did he do today?" <laughs> you know, you just <laughs> and then you're thinking, "Well, let's just talk about his unit, like the defensive yeah, line, yeah. or whatever it is." But uh, I, I, I'm impressed with the way they handle, especially handle the interviewing especially if they've lost a football game. Well, I don't know Bob handles the coach interview generally, but uh, as you said, you, you get to have some interaction with, with these folks. I'd imagine uh, is Coach Fulmer still number one on that list as far as the coaches you've dealt with? Or? Well, uh, Philip and I played together, so we, we uh, uh, knew each other all through college. I was a year ahead of him in school. Uh, and uh, Philip has always been one of the smartest guys in the room. And uh, I've admired the way he's handled it. Uh, you know, he, things got bad and, and he got canned, but he'd had a – just two years before, he'd had us in the state end of the SEC championship game. Uh, I, I guess they thought he wouldn't bring us back, but I, I, I wonder if that was a good decision once you see what's happened for the last ten yeah. years. But, uh, yeah, Philip, Philip uh, of course, Bob would interview him, but, but we would talk a little bit after the ball games, and, and uh, he was always business, always focused. I don't think I, when he was coaching, I don't think I ever had a conversation with Philip where I really had his attention. He's always thinking about the next game, the next play, uh, the game after that. How am I going, how are we going, what, 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 what can we do to win? It's 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 like me getting ready for a trial. Uh, I, I took some depositions the last couple of days, and I spent the entire weekend at my house preparing, reading through, and everything, and, and preparing for a trial. You're looking for the every single little detail and how it's going to play in front of a jury and all. Well, in some ways, it's similar to the coaches getting ready to, to play a football game. Mm-hmm. He's he's thinking constantly. So I never really had a conversation with Philip. Oh, a few times, you know, when when summertime Maybe or something. Yeah, how's yeah. your family doing and all of that. Uh, but uh, the coaches are so focused. There's just not much for, for for three months. There's not much chit chat with a coach, uh, particularly head coach, because they got so much on their plate besides uh, the next play. You know, the whole organization. So. Uh, that's a little harder, but you know, I, I, uh, all I'm, I tell you what, when Jeremy first came here uh, and had a first interview or two, people would come to me and say, "Gosh, his grammar!" I said, "We didn't hire him to teach English, <laughs> uh, but in a year's time, he's a different interview. Mm-hmm. He's a different interview. Uh, he's worked at that, I think. Uh, he's always plenty bright." He wasn't always uh, articulate, but much more so now. Uh, I think he's just relaxed a little more. Exactly. That's exactly what my thought was. He's more uh, relaxed. He's more. He knows what's the what it's like to be a head coach now. I think he's got. A, he 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 thinks he's got a better staff with some of his new guys, uh, particularly Jim Chaney and and Ansley. Well, and T. Martin. Uh, all bring uh, a lot to the program, I think. So, um, but they all uh, uh, 
Derek Dooley was obviously a very bright guy. He's he's having great success at Missouri as an offensive coordinator. Uh, Kiffin was a little different. He was more of a – I don't know what you would say. <laughs> he was just a little different character. But fun to talk to yeah. and, 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 and very, very bright. Uh, but uh, they, they all were, were uh, had their own idiosyncrasies a little bit different. But they were all, particularly in the fall, they were so focused – on the next play, the next game, the next practice, whatever. You know, it's interesting uh, talking about Coach Pruitt, and I think if you if you try and put yourself in his shoes, he's coming from Alabama where Coach Saban never lets the assistants do interviews, so he's never had to do it before. He comes up here where he's he's never been as a as a professional, doesn't know anybody the media that's interviewing him, doesn't really know any of the, the folks in the building that he's working with, and he's yeah. – you know, like you said, a uh, narrow-focused, uh, driven coach who's just focusing on football. He, you know, giving an interview was probably way down the list of priorities on for him last year. I, I think that's that's pretty accurate. I really do. He, I think he's got plenty of good football sense, especially from a defensive standpoint. He's he's and and I believe with with Jim Cheney back. He's more comfortable in kind of letting go. Uh, Tyson Helton last year ran the offense. It was his first year as a coordinator. Uh, good guy, smart guy. He's going to do well, I think, at Western Kentucky. But he was learning on the run, too. Uh, but I, I think Jeremy uh, has a better feel for what the head coach needs to do to make the program go and make it, make it win. Mm-hmm. Which number one is get the best assistance you can get, and then number two is get the best players you can get, obviously. But uh, I, I think he has a better feel for it. He's—I don't know if you're ever comfortable as a head football coach, uh, but I think he has a better understanding, and and he has adapted very well. Well, uh, I think you've got you know Coach Pruitt, who's been around the. Probably the best college football program of modern times uh, thus far. And then you've got Coach Fulmer, who's got the Tennessee flavor and knows what it looks like when it's rolling good here. And if we can just kind of meld those two visions together, hopefully it'll be all right. Well, I've always thought that if you're a major college football coach, you would like your AD to be a football guy. I know when Phillip was the head coach, as as great a success as he had, he called on Coach Dickey from time to time. Uh, or Coach Dickey would walk down the hall and walk into his office and give a piece of unsolicited advice maybe. Uh, so we've been through a period, and I, I have no criticisms over our previous athletic directors. I, that's an overwhelming job too. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a comfort level when a former uh, head football coach is your AD uh, and you're the football coach they have been through what you're going through, and I think you can kind of call on them sometimes for policy decisions or how mm-hmm. something about how you prepare and so forth. And, and I, so I think Philip would. I, I think I don't know how much that goes on between Philip and Jeremy, but I think um, Jeremy should feel comfortable that in some, certain situations to knock on Philip's door and say, "Hey, let's talk." No doubt. Well. 
Tim, uh, really appreciate your time. You've been very generous with it uh, here today. I feel like we kind of glossed over your law career. That's <laughs> way outside my area of expertise, but you're, you're still trying cases and oh, yeah. preparing for trial. And I, I have been blessed to work with um, uh, a handful of really good lawyers as partners. My son's one of my partners. He's a whole lot smarter than I am, let me say that. Uh, but uh, we kind of had the old guys, Bob Pryor and I, uh, John Harbor, uh, and then sons <laughs> have come in, uh, and it's turned into a family business. Well, it kind of has in a way, but it's very professional. And the next generation uh, here are all excellent lawyers. They try a lot of cases. Uh, fortunately, we've had some 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 significant successes at that, um, and. Uh, I believe we have the respect of the legal community, which which I think is important. But uh, uh, as I say, when you're getting ready for trial, it's kind of like you're the coach getting ready for a football game. I don't think about that when I'm getting ready for a trial, but you're trying to get every detail, everything, every witness, every question. Can I ask this question, or is it going to backfire on me in front of a jury? How do I play to a jury? What kind of jurors do I want to have in the box for this? Uh, all those things, um, not too uh, worldly different from getting well, ready to play to football. Win. You are, trying, and there's 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 as judges, a, officials, and you know a, the. It's kind of like a ball game. There's a definite winner and loser when you try one. No so. doubt about it. Well, good luck uh, with, with the business. Uh, congrats on on all the success here, and hopefully we see a little bit of success on the football field sooner or later, so that. Uh, so that you can have uh, as good a, uh, you know, uh, get it as good as it was at the beginning when you started <laughs> in 1999. Well, I think we're going to be in that direction. I think this team will be some better. I watched them scrimmage Saturday, and uh, we've got some young players that are going to be good football players. How good this year, I'm not sure. But uh, I think we're better prepared for uh, the SEC schedule than we were last year, and i believe that will continue hopefully we'll be uh, back toward the top of the league soon all right great stuff tim thanks again really appreciate it it's great to seeing you sure glad to visit all right folks there you have it the great tim priest that was a lot of fun i hope you enjoyed it if you're enjoying these podcasts then be sure to tell a friend and help spread the word for me on social media as always you can leave a tip and help me continue to grow this thing by going to anchor.fm and clicking on the donate button Uh, You can donate as little as a dollar a month. You probably got that in your car seat, in your couch cushion, something like that, if everyone chipped in a dollar. Oh, what a wonderful world it would be. The Smith kids will get into the best schools, and maybe I'll get that island in the Bahamas someday. Oh, well, we can dream, right? Until then, y'all be good. Anchor.fm, thanks again. We'll talk soon.